0: Hello and welcome to the show. My name's Stuart Goldsmith. Today I'm talking with Ben Yahtzee Crowshaw, a curveball guest. I'm very excited to speak to him. Not only is he not a stand-up comedian, but he is also not really a performer. In fact, if anything, he's closer to a reviewer. But he's not a comedy critic. He's a reviewer of video games, and for the last twelve years, has produced over seven hundred videos entitled Zero Punctuation, where, and lots of other content besides. Not to mention having written a few books as well. We're going to talk 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 about all of those things and uh, really get under the skin of what drives Ben and uh, we hear some fascinating revelations about exactly why his uh, video series which is very scabrous and funny and scathing criticism of video games uh, we're going to find out exactly why it is created in the manner in which he creates it so without further ado this is Ben Yahtzee-Croshaw. let's let's begin there because i know we have uh we have portal 2 in common as a favorite video game so even though you have is that your favorite still i believe that's the case or a, a positively one? reviewed one portal 2
2: oh yeah that's one of my favorites
0: oh my god it's wonderful just wonderful a door that shoots guns it's just <laughs> I'm, I'm so excited about the concept a gun <laughs> forgive me a gun that shoots doors yeah um, I yeah yeah that's portal 3 and you know out to uh, today. Um, so let's let's begin then with, uh, before we get into you trying stand-up comedy, which will be, that'll be part uh, 1A, just for the benefit of listeners to the show who are not familiar with your stuff, basically anyone that's never heard of the internet, could you tell us exactly what it is that you do and are most known for?
2: I do a weekly internet series called Zero Punctuation in which I review a recent video game or a video game I feel like talking about if there aren't any one recent ones worth talking about and I've been doing that for about 12 years.
0: I mean, that's an incredibly long time in internet time.
2: Yeah, well, you know, it's paying the bills, I ain't complaining.
0: <laughs> and who who were your kind of... Who was doing online videos regularly when you started? Who were kind of your peers? Does it work like that in the internet? Oh, well,
2: yeah, well it's... Well, people who were doing that sort of thing at the time were people like the angry video game nerd.
0: OK. I've, I'm, I've never heard of such a person.
2: Yeah. He was uh, one of the early ones who hit upon the formula of, like pretending to be really angry at video games in front of a camera <laughs>
0: okay
2: but i think um, I, was, I was more influenced by i think written internet comedy and i still like very tightly script most of my stuff i wonder what i'm doing on this podcast because i consider myself more of a comedy writer i suppose yes
0: well that's uh you know it's it's a it's a broad church it's an yeah. increasingly broad church the podcast and um, so Let's talk about your influences there. I mean, I suppose the person that would be that you would wear on your sleeve most would be someone like Charlie Brooker.
2: Yes, I had a feeling we'd, we'd come to that. Because um, I was a fan of his uh, long before he was on TV because he used to write for PC's own magazine back in the 90s.
0: <laughs> you see, I, I think of myself as one of the cool kids because I know him from TV Go Home. <laughs> um, but you predate even that.
2: Yeah, when I was really young... Um, I think reading video game magazines was sort of an introduction to what I do now because back in the day, especially when I was a kid in the 90s, there was always, there was very often this weird sort of punk humor running through video game journalism. And PC Zone was a big part of that when Charlie Brooke was writing. I think that was where I started gaining an appreciation for the, the negative review as a comedy yes. source.
0: Yes, and he and I'm I'm afraid I've just you mentioning not PC Zone. I was never to PC Zone, but I have just remembered the existence of Kamikaze Bear. From uh, I don't know if that uh, is too dated a reference even for you. That was from a, a, your Sinclair or Sinclair user magazine, possibly. Right.
2: I, w- I had a Commodore 64, so I read Commodore Format. Oh, you were one of them. God, yeah. nothing
0: to do with you. Fine, fair enough. <laughs> That's a, a, an early uh, allusion to the, the two I, very separate I, terms.
2: I, I had a question for you related to video game journalism. Oh, I sure. will see how obscure this goes, but do you remember? Go, go di- do you remember Digitizer? Oh, I don't know that I do. No, I'm sorry. All right, I'll take that back a step. Do you remember Teletext? Yes, very much so, of course. Digitizer was like a video game magazine on Channel 4's Teletext pages.
0: I do remember it! You do remember that? <laughs> yeah,
2: yes, I do, yeah. Because that was one of, again, sort of like Zone. It it was a video game journalism, but it had this weird, very characteristic, anarchic a characteristically British, anarchic, surreal and slightly dark humour running through it.
0: Yes. Do you yes, remember that? It, it feels like an era, it feels of a piece with things like 2000 AD, the yes, comics. Yes, yes. And, and Warhammer 40,000, you know, that kind of games workshop. The yes. sorts of people that write the, um, write the text for... God, there's stuff coming, I mean, this is all things I've not thought about for 30 years, but, you know, warg the orcs, yeah. and uh, that sort of mentality. There's a particularly, um, it is pe- peculiar to Britain, I suppose, and do I you... Think so, yeah. Do you feel that you're kind of of that territory? Is that you were kind of moulded in that?
2: I feel I'm born partly out of it, I'm certainly influenced by it. I mean, I think being foreign sort of gives you an advantage in our line of work.
0: Yes, Yes, uh, certainly. Yes. I'm, I certainly have found that going to comedy festivals in, for example, New Zealand, where suddenly I, a middle-class white British man, <laughs> am special. Yeah.
2: yeah. So that's, that's one of the ways to get noticed on the internet, certainly, and have a weird accent.
0: Yes. So were, were your, your were the viewers of Zero Punctuation predominantly American?
2: I think so. I mean, in, in as much as I think most of the viewers on the internet at the time would have been predominantly American.
0: Oh, of course, they sort of had it first, didn't they? Yeah. yeah fair. So just to, just to go back to who you were before you started uh, creating Zero Punctuation, which now is, I mean, a phenomenally long-running, you have you done nearly 500 episodes, I think, or is that I think way past that? Now?
2: Yeah, it's like over 700 now. Oh, good Lord.
0: I've, <laughs> I've been gleaning information about you, not just from the videos and other you know, Wikipedia things, but also from comments on videos, which you then suddenly realise are several years out of date.
2: Well, that's the um, thing, isn't it? That's the trouble with the internet. I mean yeah, the the difference between what I do and comedy is that comedy like stand up comedy is very iterative, I understand. Yes. Um, you get you have to like work with an audience to get instant feedback and like alter your material as you're delivering it. But what I do is just put it out there and then it's like that forever. <laughs> and people find that like ten years down the line, they find videos where you've made a like a crass mistake. Uh, or um, where well, your voice sounded a bit weird, or you yes. weren't quite bringing your A game, and someone watches that today and thinks that's just what you like in the permanent basis.
0: Well, this is this is already fascinating to me in terms of being a creator of things, things that stay there and have stayed there for twelve years. Yeah. So talk us through, I don't know, God, I don't know when, where to start. Let's start with who you were as a kid in this in this culture in Britain, whereabouts in Britain. You were in rugby, were you? In?
2: Yeah, I was born in rugby in Warwickshire.
0: Uh, that's ridiculous. I'm from Leamington. Oh, really? So, uh, yeah, 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 I remember seeing that and going, oh, yeah, OK. Um, we've probably, I don't know, I don't know how old you are. Maybe we uh, were sneered at by the same people in the street. It's
2: possible. I think, we, yeah, I, I looked you up, actually, in preparation for this. Oh, did Um, you? Yeah, and you are older. I was born in 83.
0: Okay, okay. I was born in showbiz. Anyway, (laughs) um, (laughs) um, so what kind of a kid were you at school? I feel like I can imagine your school days purely on the basis of the fact that you're an internet guy that writes about video games. How much of what you think is perceived about you is actually the
2: case? Well, are you picturing an incredibly awkward young man?
0: (laughs) I'm letting you picture that. (laughs)
2: Yeah, I was awkward. I wasn't like uh, I wasn't one of the sporty lads. Sure. Um, I think in high school, I spent most of my lunchtimes in the school library and then the school computer room when they let us. Just uh, okay. Yeah. So video games were part of it right from the beginning.
0: And did you? Were you? Did you have lots of friends? Did you have I, f- one or two close friends? No friends.
2: I had one or two close friends, none of whom I'm still in contact with. Okay. Yeah, I wasn't one of the. I wasn't a social animal. I think towards the end of high school, I started taking on a bit of a class clown sort of attitude.
0: Okay, talk to me about talk to me about that because that's something that I associate far more readily with stand-up comedians being either the funny kid in the class or more likely the jealous kid looking at the second funniest kid, looking at the funny kid, and thinking it should be me. I don't so, know. what what I, sorts I, of successes did you have socially with humor?
2: I don't know. It was just when we were in class and everyone was like expected to sit around being bored i just um started getting the kick out of like saying things or doing things that would make the rest of the room laugh even if it okay. came, even if they were just laughing at me like okay yeah. okay because
0: I, mean, I mean it's easy to imagine you were sort of adopting a status position and kind of ripping the teachers or something like that was it was it that sort no. of thing
2: no i was um uh, very deferent to the teachers i think i mean i was trying to like i try to like say things to make them laugh and they probably thought i was a complete twat
0: (laughs) a frightful tick or something (laughs) something something (laughs) british
2: something warwickian okay i think part of i think part of it is that i've you know i i do have like problems with anxiety still so okay i think a lot of it is like what i do is out of wanting to be accepted just to like pop psychology myself
0: Sure. Well, I was about to pop psychology you, so I'm very glad that you've uh, <laughs> you've opened that up yourself. It's very much a preconception of this yeah. uh, this podcast, I suppose. Well, I,
2: I was putting stuff online for years before I started doing zero punctuation. While I still lived in England, I was like maintaining a blog. I started, tried doing web comics for a while, but everything I put okay. out I put out for free and didn't expect to monetize because all I was hoping for was for someone to praise it. You know. Okay. Okay.
0: And do you, do you think that was representative of the sorts of people that were also blogging at that time? Did you feel of a piece with other people doing something similar?
2: Well, I was certainly influenced by other people doing that sort of thing. I used to read a lot of, like, humour sites. Like the, It's funny how there's, there's always been this sort of connection between comedy and video games in that, because there were a lot of early blogs on the internet, like there was a site called Old Man Murray. Okay. Which was... And one of the writers on that was went on to become one of the writers on Portal, which you brought up earlier.
0: Oh, yeah, okay.
2: Yeah, Eric Walpore, who... He also uh, did some of the writing on Psychonauts. don't know if you've heard of that one. I don't think I have, no. That's a well-regarded cult comedy game. Okay. And, uh, I mean, I
0: remember, when you talk about sort of cult comedy games, I remember, the uh, again, the Spectrum version of... Uh, it was the the game of the cash-in book, How to Be a Complete Bastard. (laughs) Uh, Do you remember that starring Adrian Edmondson? And the game was very, very simple, kind of scrolling 2D, and you had to walk around at a a party, ruining everything at the party. And I remember it had, in terms of like an an anarchic joke, there was, um, you, you you were playing it on a Spectrum 48K, and at one point in the party, if you looked in the airing cupboard, you found a Spectrum 48K with a game that was loaded, and you had an option to reset it, which uh, older video game players will know that's you know that's four hours four, four minutes of reloading yeah? <laughs> watching loading screens and if you reset it it reset your computer the one that you were playing it on
2: yeah you're making me nostalgic for a time when video games could be something like that someone could just make something stupid and put it out on, like the Spectrum yes. of the Commodore sixty four and get it sold in shops.
0: Yes, I remember. This is all coming back to me now. I remember a free game with with um, your Sinclair or ZX user something like that, um, which was Advanced Lawnmower Simulator, where you, it was on a little cassette that came free on the cover, and it was just the dumbest, you know. And again, a very British sense of humour.
2: Yeah, yeah, there were a lot of games like that. I mean, I'm thinking of like there was almost a subgenre of lawnmower games. There was some, there was one <laughs> there was one called Hover I think it was called. Where you were trying to mow a lawn and a dog was trying to get in the way. <laughs> this was when video games I mean, when video games could be something like that. When no one really cared that much about enormous mainstream appeal like video games do these days. Yes,
0: yes. Well, I, I think we'll get onto that. I know that's a, a, a preoccupation of yours. Mm. But to stay with with those the kind of the early days for the moment. I mean, I, I never got past. 10, print, I am skilled, 20, <laughs> go to 10. That was absolutely the, the extent of my my programming. So what were you teaching yourself to program yes. as you were blogging?
2: Sort of, yeah. Um, I was sort of teaching myself to program on the Commodore 64 when I was a kid. I'd make, like, stupid little games that nobody but me would ever see. And, that, and it, then you... And, uh, yeah, I just... I've always, like, tried to mess around with, like... Uh, game creation tool I've used sort of like game creation tools. because okay. uh, program- I, don't,
0: I don't really know what they are. Does that kind of try and simplify it into a bit more of a drag-and-drop process? Or sort or of, yeah. Of I
2: mean, it's like pro- programs specifically designed by people to make specific kinds of games. And when, hmm. like uh, I used to use something called Adventure Game Studio that would make point-and-click adventure games in the style of The Secret of Monkey Island. Or- <laughs> okay, that sort of thing, and those were like the first games I designed. Okay, so I made I made some of those and put them on the internet, released them for free because I just wanted praise.
0: And did you get any praise?
2: Yeah, I mean, actually, before I was uh, got viral on Zero Punctuation, I was semi well known as an adventure game, as like an indie adventure game designer in those circles.
0: Okay, what was your big success from back then? Oh, my biggest.
2: Oh, I wrote a game. I wrote an adventure game called Five Days a Stranger, which was this horror. Like uh, mansion escape sort of thing Okay. About, like some people trapped in a mansion and a ghost is trying to kill them and that and and uh, yeah that, that uh, that's that got fairly widespread if you look that up I mean my if you look at my Wikipedia page a lot of it is still concerned with the video games I've put online
0: and when you say that you are you is that because someone else wrote it when you say a lot of it's <laughs> concerned with that is it's kind of like fan updated
2: yeah someone else. Whatever well, then, uh, it's. I would never write my own Wikipedia page. Christ, who who does? No, no, no. <laughs> who does that? that?
0: <laughs> I, I absolutely haven't done that, and I think that will become that 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 will become increasingly anachronistic. As yeah. everyone, of course, you should write your own Wikipedia page. I could not ever bring myself to do that. <laughs> What, what sorts of things were good about that game, about Five Days a Stranger? What, what were you particularly proud of? What did you feel like you'd...
2: It's hard, it's hard to say. When I look back, it kind of makes me cringe a bit because uh, over, over the years, I'm, I'm less in, I've become less into adventure games. Okay. Because I'm more interested in, like, video games, the, the interactive art form, the different things you can do with that, with concepts like challenge and catharsis. And adventure okay. games were very, very story-based... Like yeah It was basically just linear stories, and you'd have to like solve basic, like key indoor door puzzles to progress through the story.
0: Yes, and so there was no real. It, it was an A to B story.
2: Yeah, but some of the like the early comedy video games were basically all adventure games because it was all like comedy dialogue. Yes, Secret of Monkey Island was a very funny game.
0: Yes, I never played the Monkey Island games. I remember playing Space Quest.
2: Oh, yes, that's another good example.
0: Yeah, there was really there were really funny gags on that. There were funny deaths.
2: Yeah, that was part of the appeal. Cuz you're talking yeah. this was like the big rivalry in the 90s of the two big adventure game developers. There was LucasArts who made the Monkey Island games and there was Sierra okay. who made Space Quest and King's Quest and Leisure Suit Larry and things like that. Okay. And uh, the one they had like these vastly different game design philosophies. Like LucasArts just wanted to tell you a story and make you laugh and um they didn't. They had this philosophy where they didn't want the player to be whacked over their head every time they make a mistake. And Sierra, okay. but Sierra was about like putting a whole bunch of funny deaths into the games to add as to add a sort of. Uh, I guess it's kind of a challenge, but it's also a sort of collector thon. You try to, as well as finish the story, you want to find all the different funny ways to die in it.
0: Yes. Okay. Yeah. God, and I'm really put in mind of um, Jet Set Willy of dying over and over again, playing Jet Set Willy on the Spectrum, and then a huge Monty Python-esque foot would come down from the ceiling and squash you. Yeah, well that... to signify the kind of death screen.
2: Well, that's part of the uh, the inherent comedy of video games, I guess. But Five Days a Stranger was weird because that wasn't really comedy; that was horror. And horror is another thing I've had an interest in over the years. And w- what is it about? What is it that
0: grabs you about horror?
2: I'm not sure. I mean, would you agree with the statement that there's a close link between comedy and horror?
0: Yes, I would. It's not something... It's come up on the podcast before, only when I was talking to Andy Nyman, who created this hit West End show and now a movie called Ghost Stories. And he was talking... He kind of really turned me on to the idea that that it's to do with the the build-up and release of tension.
2: Yeah, I I was thinking about that earlier. It's something to do with that. But my point was that... um, Like, uh, video games uh, do horror really well. So I've always thought thought there's a lot of uh, rooms to explore comedy in it as well. I mean, video games do horror well because, uh, well, you're you're inherently invested in it because you don't want to be killed, because that's part of the challenge. Mm -hmm. You want to avoid, like, the scary things. But it's also, I think, playing a video game, a single-player video game, is like this fundamentally bleak experience, because you're in this all, whole other world that might be full of other like characters in it, but you're the only thinking, feeling human being in it. Yes. So there's this like sort of inherent loneliness that some of my favourite horror video games have tapped into really well.
0: Yes. Now, I know you're a big fan of, is it
2: Silent Hill 2? Yes, that's one of my all-time favourites, horror games. I
0: have, I have played that. I can't remember whether it's 1 or 2. I've got a very vivid memory of the, the rivulet of blood running down from the nurse's hair. Uh, that was
2: Silent Hill 1, which was on That the, was yeah, in 1, okay. That was on the PlayStation. Silent Hill 2 was the first one on the PlayStation 2. Okay. And that was like, like Silent Hill 1 was about like a uh, haunted town taken over by demons but Silent Hill 2 was actually this really psychological story about this uh, depressed guy who's recently lost his wife and he, comes, yes. and he comes to the town of Silent Hill and like uh, become, he like gets drawn into this weird symbolic metaphorical odyssey into the darkness of his own soul and it's actually really sophisticated
0: yeah I, I mean it really is um, I suppose for me computer games have always been something of a guilty pleasure
2: well I, and so if, you know that's probably why so much game journalism when I was growing up was had this sort of punk comedy thing going on for it because it was automatically this sort of slightly shameful thing that the parents didn't approve of yeah just right makes me think of alternative comedy like the like bottom and the young ones and uh, the parents yes there's there's
0: definitely some sort of shared history there isn't yeah it? the
2: parents didn't approve of it and therefore just like doing it at all has this sort of as i say punk sensibility to it
0: yes the and the anarchic quality i guess in part comes from just the joy of deliberately shouting rude words
2: well yeah well that's coming back to what i do for a living yeah
0: (laughs) so i mean i I remember seeing bottom live actually and uh i love i uh, love i love
2: uh, bottom I I grew grew up watching stuff like that. I think that was still a big influence on me. I think people get very sniffy about what's termed lowbrow humor. Yes. But I think, though, like, when you see absolute masters of it doing it, you can see see it for the art form that it is.
0: Absolutely. I'll never forget Rick Nail on stage being alone in the flat and going, oh, what shall I do? And I think they filmed it in Cambridge and someone in the audience obviously
2: shouts have a wank like they would do every time uh, and put blaze yeah. into that, happened, that. that. Yeah, that happened in every show. It turned into a running, yeah. running gag. <laughs> so you're, um, you
0: were making games, you were making video games, horror games notably. Yeah. Were you
2: making funny games as well? I, yeah, I made a few funny games before that but they were never as popular. I think something like, horror... I think strikes a nerve with video games for some reason. There's a lot of okay. there's a lot of very cheaply made, easily done horror games on the internet. Like independently developed ones that are just uh, basically walking around a small environment with very low visibility, and they play scary noises. And every now and again, something jumps out. And a lot of them are really cheaply made and easily made. But for a while, like there were tons of them coming out all the time, and some of them became really popular. Part of that, and do you th- part of that was YouTube appeal, actually, because some people didn't like playing them, but they liked watching people on YouTube play them and like react to camera in like funny ways.
0: Yes, I've, I, I'm very late to the party on the enjoyment to be had from watching other people play games on YouTube. Oh, I, I yeah. think I I heard about that becoming a thing a few years ago and really turned my nose up at it. And then for some reason, I kept getting uh, Rust videos. On YouTube. No idea why. And just watching lunatics play this incredibly anarchic post-apocalyptic game and bullying each other and trap each other. And I really, as someone now, I have two children, I have no time to play video games. I actually did see the appeal of watching someone else play it for me in a way that I could easily drop in and end. It's it's really huge
2: now. There's like whole media empires based around people playing and streaming video games. Like The the video game publishers are all in, in bed with it now because they used to be they used to like try to clamp down it because they thought people watching it on youtube means they wouldn't buy it for themselves of course but then, when, course. But then when you were a kid and you watch someone play a game what's the first thing you do you ask to have your go so yes, it's actually turned yeah. into a really effective marketing strategy for video games so they're all very much in favor of it now
0: and and why do you think in, in the in the early days of you creating horror and horror games being successful, there wasn't an equivalent it's not that comedy games were particularly successful in the same way?
2: Um It's hard to say. I mean these days it's hard to find video games that do comedy well. Yeah. I mean the adventure games all did it really well, but adventure games have sort of gone out of vogue in the like really big money sector of the industry. Mm-hmm. And I think comedy in games these days is troubled because video games are such a huge enterprise that so many people work on. Yeah, and I think what uh, made makes a game like Portal and Portal Two different because uh, I was remember hearing about how those games were made. What they did was that the writer of the the funny lines, Eric Walpole, he was he would actually get involved in the sound engineering and the sound programming and the level design. So that when, like his lines were being played, he would, he could make sure they were played with with the right timing.
0: Yes, he could affect the timing himself rather than hand it over to be minced by someone who's
2: exactly yeah because because en- he's other the sound engineer and level designer might be very good at that but they not, might not necessarily be good at comic timing and that sort of thing.
0: Yes, you you see that with um, certain sitcoms that you know an editor can absolutely make or break a show. Mm. Based on you know their decision of what take is used, their decision of when to cut away, when to go for it.
2: And a lot of okay. a lot of video games these days have a problem that I like to call the Spider Man problem because it happens in every Spider Man video game. <laughs> go on. Where uh, they want to make they want to bring across the fact that the character is a funny character who quips and and says funny dialogue lines. So what they do is mm-hmm. they create a pool of like five different jokes, and they just yeah. have one randomly play every time like you punch someone in the middle of the combat. So within like an hour, you've heard the same lines like 20 times and you basically want want to kill everyone involved.
0: Jumping ahead quickly, I I have played one of your games. I've played Hatfall.
2: Yes, that's one of my recent recent ones that was like a zero punctuation (laughs) tie-in game. I properly laughed out loud at that. I
0: wonder, do, does it eventually suffer from the Spider-Man problem because there is a limited amount of things
2: you can. Well, I wonder would, get the characters. Well, I think same. one way to avoid the Spider-Man problem is try to keep it too extremely like low-brow, slapsticky, sort of impact-based comedy rather than like witty one-liners. Because when yes. I think back to the moments when I've laughed in video games, I think of moments like in a game like Painkiller, which has this one weapon. It's a first-person shooter. There's this one weapon that's a, uh, basically like a, a stake launcher that fires these okay. huge cylinders of wood. And it just fires with a really satisfying action. <laughs> and when it hits an enemy, it like, sends them flying and it pins them to a wall and all their arms and legs fly off. And that's the sort of thing I laugh, about, I laugh at in video games. So I was, when I was doing Hatfall, I was trying to like, create... Not so much, I like, fill it with funny dialogue, although I did try to put as much funny dialogue as I could put in but sort of make the core gameplay about sort of like heavy impact moments, heavy comedic impact moments. Yes.
0: Just to describe that game uh, for the listener, you, you play a little man that runs around trying to catch hats on his head as they fall towards his head. Yeah. Initially, yeah. I didn't get past the first few levels, I have to say. Even first few is probably dignified yeah. attempts.
2: I mean, it probably sounds a bit dry as you describe it like that. Yeah. <laughs> no, I was, um, was deliberately like there's like very solid sort of impact noises every time you start a new level. And it goes bang, bong, yes. go, catch the hat. Yes. And, then,
0: and there's some very, very funny lines, and they're big, plosive, abrupt, yeah. well timed. Consistent with the voice, we'll get onto all of this when we when we start properly talking about zero punctuation. Yep. But it really properly had me laughing out loud on a train. Well, that's good to know.
2: I've been working on a sequel that's kind of uh, tied up in administration at the moment. <laughs> okay, so hopefully that can go out soon. Can you tell us anything about it? Well, um, it's like hat fall, but you're on a moving vehicle the whole time.
0: <laughs> that sounds annoying.
2: <laughs> yeah, hopefully.
0: So this is Yahtzee. We're going to talk more with him in just a second. Uh, I would like to take this opportunity to encourage you to read or purchase or download uh, his uh, books, Mog World, I've read. And uh, I'm also part way through We'll Save the Galaxy for Food. Uh, it's really worth reading his stuff. He's a very, very funny writer. And uh, and also, I highly recommend, if you are a fan of Zero Punctuation, if you've never heard of Zero Punctuation, get online immediately. Choose any computer game you've heard of and uh, get stuck into his opinion opinion. opinion of it he's so so funny and that parallel track thing he does of having a very funny written fast-paced verbal element and this kind of audio element and then at the same time having this amazing sort of really super simple but very very funny very high speed graphic element that sort of runs in a, a parallel track but with often different jokes it's just it just bombards you and i i i find it just such a comedy assault on the senses so um Very, very pleased to be speaking to Yahtzee. And um, we will get back to the interview in just a second. Lots to do at the moment. Of course, you can go to comedianscomedian.com slash tour to find out my tour dates. The, the latest things have been released at the moment. And I'm actually speaking to you right now from Texas, from Austin, Texas, where I have returned to South by Southwest uh, for this year's incredible tech, music, gaming, uh, film and comedy festival. I've already got episodes in the can with the brilliant Eugene Merman and the hilarious Roy Wood Jr. And I am about an hour and a half half away. You can probably hear I'm talking fast at the moment, not just because uh, uh, Yancy is a very very fast speaker um, in his videos, at least, but also because I'm starting to get a bit giddy. Because in about ninety minutes or so, I'm going to be interviewing the incredible Kathy Griffin about comedy, the First Amendment, and exactly what happened to her and why. When in May of 2017, she tweeted a picture, a sort of promotional picture of her holding up the uh, you know not not the real severed head of Donald Trump. A mask of Donald Trump covered in ketchup, um, which turned out to uh, be arguably the defining moment of her career and certainly set in place a number of huge changes in the way she works and indeed the way in which she was allowed or not to fly around the country. She found herself the subject of an investigation by the Secret Service and the Department of Justice into whether or not she was guilty of uh, conspiring to assassinate the president. I'm going to be holding that interview in about uh, 90 minutes' time, so forgive me if I'm a little jittery and uh, running off at the mouth. Can't wait for that. And then Matt Bronger, brilliant American comedian, is, is my guest tomorrow. All of those will be coming your way soon. I've got a very exciting episode with Chris Addison in the can as well. We've got a a solid two hours or more with Chris, um, so the Insiders Club can look forward to some extra content there. And we've got about 15 minutes worth or so. some little extra trimmings from um, from this episode with Yahtzee, all available at comedianscomedian.com slash insiders for those of you who like to support the podcast and access that private podcast. That's all the stuff for now. I will post-ramble at you gently after the conclusion of this conversation with Yahtzee. So let's let's talk about zero punctuation. Then. Okay. Where were you in your life? What were you doing when you released your your first one?
2: Well, when I f- released my first zero punctuation video, I've been online for quite a few years. I've been throwing a lot of shit, hoping something would stick. Like video games, web comics. I wrote a uh, a blog for a while, and, uh-huh. I, was, and I was pretty like self-taught and all of that. I trained myself in writing comedy by, like, forcing myself to update my blog once a day for a year.
0: Oh, well done. That's not easy.
2: Yeah, and without just doing, like, diary entries, trying to, like, actually write something funny. Okay. Of, a comedic essay thing.
0: Okay, you've kind of created a little open mic circuit for yourself. Sort of. In order to get out there, have a bit of commitment to something, forcing you to do it, even yeah. when you don't want to, and kind of training up those muscles.
2: Yeah, exactly. So... There's, there's a lot of like, archives on my old blog. Early on stuff that makes me cringe a lot and it's sort of gradually increasing in quality as it goes along.
0: And the blog is Fully
2: ramblematic: That's the one, fullyramblematic.com. Okay. And, uh, and,
0: and in, in the writing of those blog pages, sorry to interrupt, as we, as we will both have become aware, there is a slight pause on, the, uh, <laughs> on, the, on the, uh, uh, the internet connection that we're using or the zoom.us, which is doing very well. It's a nice, clear sound but uh, occasionally we are hiccuping over each other's timing, for which I apologise. Just to interrupt briefly, in terms of the blogging, Mm -hmm. that's um, as a means of... What made you commit to that system of like, right, I'm going to do this every day for a year?
2: Um, I think because I didn't have much else to do, (laughs) frankly. (laughs) At the time I was living in Australia, I'd moved over there to be with my internet girlfriend. And um, I was on, like... I was applying for a permanent residence visa based on a de facto marriage because we were living together, and okay. uh, part of the like, prerequisites was that I wasn't allowed to work
1: oh, uh, I more, see, more I than see. more than
2: a certain amount. So, and before that, I'd been like working at a data entry office back in England f- to save up the money to move. And uh, part mm-hmm. of part of how I coped with that work was just to write stuff in between columns of figures. Did some pretty good writing in my data entry days because it had time to think about what you were going to write. Yeah, I think that's common to uh, a lot of people with
0: kind of boring, shitty jobs. It can be quite a feckened thing, and you've got something to kick against
2: yeah. every day. That's, that's what I, so I used to, uh, after a while. I started seeking out boring data entry temp jobs. So, because I was a fast typer, they were always impressed by how well I could do the data entry, but I could also like work on my own stuff. In between, okay. just, just add a sentence to an essay in between. So, yes. I've been doing that for a few years, trying to make a living. And um, I think zero punctuation first happened after I broke up with my long term girlfriend that time and was in a very dark place. And I moved in with uh, one of the friends I'd made in Brisbane. And uh, I was in between data entry temp jobs. I think I had permanent residence by then, yeah, that's right, because I was looking for another job. And um, somehow I, I had, I was—I think it was like the burgeoning field of online video at the time. YouTube was around mm-hmm. at that point. And I had it in my head that I wanted to do something like that, but I didn't have much professional equipment. I didn't have any webcams or, because this, this was before I had a smartphone. I think this was before mm-hmm. I had a mobile phone. <laughs> And um, so I had this idea. I would take this crap headset mic that I bought for like a dollar from the dollar store down the road. And I'd make a slideshow of images that I'd put together with the default video making program that came with Windows. Okay. And um, so I did that. I just had that was the idea, basically. I'd just write down my like a, a, criti- a review because I'd been doing reviews before then. From my okay. own site. I actually did some uh articles for a video game magazine in Australia before I died on that.
0: And did they would they have had the same voice, the same persona?
2: Oh no, I think as... I think video game magazines were on the way out at that point. The internet was destroying everything in its path. I think they were just looking for sure. they were just looking for content to stick between adverts. I don't think they ever even edited the text I sent them.
0: <laughs> but what I mean is that the text that you sent them was that you writing in the in f- from the same tone with the same sort of aggressive, you know, those qualities that we associate with zero punctuation. Well,
2: it wasn't aggressive. I was trying to be. I was doing like hearted comedy stuff, like what I'd uh, like some of the stuff I've read on, Like I used to read online. It wasn't hard hitting mm-hmm. journalism or anything. It wasn't interviews or previews. It was just stuff that's sort of what clickbait is now, like. Uh, here are five stories of how someone injured themselves with video games sort of written, okay, in a okay, funny way right. but i'd always like like i've done reviews on my own site of various things mm-hmm. and um because as i said i was interested in the field of uh, the 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 funny angry review it's firstly yeah. firstly from charlie brooker also from victor lewis smith
0: Oh yes, now I don't know that much about Victor Lewis Smith. I feel like I've read a lot of Brooker, yeah. and I, I remember particularly from his from TV Go Home, and then later from Screen Burn. Yeah, and I, I, every time I think of Charlie Brooker, obviously he's gone on to just such enormous things with Black Mirror, but to me he'll always be the person who wrote the sentence describing uh, Jade Goody's mother Jackie as dot cotton reflected in a dented kettle
2: yeah (laughs) which
0: i think is one of the most extraordinary uses of language and kind of visual comedy it was certainly yeah it was certainly
2: economy i mean charlie brooke is great at analogies and that's one of the things that was one of our big influences in zero punctuation but uh, victor lewis smith who did stuff like tv awful back in the day and i think Uh brooke has acknowledged victor lewis smith as an influence he used, okay. he used to do like TV criticism, but he'd do it in this very sort of fast talking, quick cuts, quick edits kind of way. Okay. With the sort of anarchic uh, sense of humour to it.
0: And and I I think I've seen your first zero punctuation
2: video. What was the game that you were reviewing? It was called. Two. It was a game called The Darkness. Yes. That was the very first one I did. Back- it's
0: amazing how. Much of what you do now, and have done since, is already contained within that. Work. Like, in terms yeah. of, like, you struck out as, like, this is, it's going to be like this, and it, it stayed like that. That worked.
2: Yeah, I mean, stick with what works. There you go. Sure. <laughs> yeah. But, but, yeah, that's just why it took off instantly. I, I think I knew within, like, a day that I had a, a hit on my hands there. Because, like, the developers of the game I'd talked about, like, got in touch. And the escapist, who I eventually started doing the series for got in touch mm-hmm. within a day or two so, uh offering a contract and that was how it all began really just uh build a be- build a better mousetrap and the world beats a path to your door i guess yeah
0: so so oh let's where to begin with the, with this so i mean for people who haven't yet and i'll say so in the intro of this episode if you've not seen zero punctuation it's fast talking, mm. scathing, high status video reviews, video game reviews. One of the most exciting elements of it for me, as a as a, a person obsessed with comedy, is that there are two tracks. There's the, the written track and the you know the performed, you know the, mm. the, the, the verbals, and then the audio stuff. Sorry, the, the, the visuals are doing uh, complementary and often different jokes. Yeah. And those two tracks are, and, and they're, they're, they're present in that very first video. Not only are you, you've cut all the, you made the decision to cut all of the pauses out. You kind of went through it and removed yeah. every time you drew breath.
2: Well, that, that's part of it because um, I hate listening to mouth noises myself and I can't think how anyone else would want to hear mouth noises. <laughs> is that really where that decision came from? Because I assumed yeah. it was something clever about kind of speed and puncture.
0: I mean, it gives you, the, the effect of course is that it enables you to, and I think in that very first one, there are three jokes in the first nine seconds Seconds.
2: i'm gonna tell you something that might surprise you but i never intended to be a, a do it fast
0: okay
2: i've I put it out and someone said blimey you talk fast and that was never the intention i just wanted to sort of okay. speak to illustrate the images and cut out the pauses for breath because i thought it sounded weird but <laughs> and i think i speak fast because i'm a sort of naturally anxious person naturally nervous yes person. are you trying
0: are you trying to get it over
2: with i guess so i mean this is the main difference between what I do and stand-up comedy, is that, as you say, uh, I, have to, I write the script, I record it, I create a second track with the images, and I think what I'm trying to do is just sort of cram enough jokes into one space because you don't know, making the video, what's going to go down well. You don't know what the audience is going to laugh at.
0: Of course.
2: I'm, ter- I'm terrible at like, predicting what's going to be like the big takeaway joke that's going to be quoted everywhere. Okay, so I'm like forever going to like Wiki Quote or some other sites or Reddit, like looking up like the response to the last video and seeing what people are actually quoting from it.
0: Okay, so you're you, and so that is very iterative.
2: Yeah, because of course in stand-up comedy you instantly know if the audience likes the joke, don't you? Because you, okay. you get a laugh, and you can like okay, you can adjust the jokes from like night to night. But sure. uh, I got I just got like one thing to put out that's up there forever so I just try to cram as much I can into a small space and hope that enough enough of the jokes hit really
0: That's fascinating. So the whole time you have been I mean I'm, I'm going to say secretly I'm not suggesting you've ever made a secret of it but that really surprises me given the the status of the, your persona as the the zero punctuation guy because I mean is it is it you? Do you feel like it's you? When you're, when you're kind of performing it.
2: There's a lot of me in it. I think I am putting on a character to a certain extent. I mean, the fact that it's a cartoon is is that already. But I also, like... I also get very hyperbolic. I sometimes do, like, jokes that imply that I might be a murderer.
0: Yes, or that you live with your mum. Yeah,
2: yeah, which I don't, incidentally. Yeah, <laughs> yeah I believe you. <laughs> well, I try, yeah, so well that... I try to, like, affect... A persona that's sort of more pathetic and dangerous than I am, and I think that's something that a lot of other people on the internet do. Have you ever seen uh, Red Letter Media's videos? Oh uh,
0: no, I must—I must have seen some of them. Well, the name—I feel like I can see the
2: logo. Well, the thing you'd most know would be their hour-long review of Star Wars: The Phantom Menace.
0: Oh yeah, okay, yeah, I've—I've seen—I've seen a good chunk of that. Yeah,
2: which they do. And that's, they do a similar thing where they sort of adopt a character and they make the character this incredibly misanthropic, hideous murderer, sort of Buffalo Bill type. Okay. And I think that's partly what I do as well. And I think that's partly why it works and why those are effective because to a certain extent there is still this sense that it's a little bit pathetic to do in-depth critiques of popular culture. <laughs> okay, and I think if you distance your narrator from reality to a certain extent, then I think people come with you more than they would someone who's like nakedly being themselves and be giving like like being a, sort of excessively nerdy. Yes,
0: yes, do you see I, what I mean? yeah, yeah, I do, I do. I feel like there are lots of people out there doing themselves saying hey guys welcome it's another video you know and and it's it's very easy that's kind of a gray soup isn't it there's quite a lot of soupy similar stuff out there where a nice upbeat person describes a thing and cracks wise do you know i mean (laughs) in a way that i that doesn't particularly grab me certainly
2: yeah but i think it's easy to alienate an audience if you're doing that by just by not being the sort of person they like Yes. Well, sort of not being the sort of person they might sympathise with, but if you're like very deliberately being something that's very other, like a murderer yeah. or a cartoon, <laughs> then people like are more willing to go with you when you go into weird tangents. Like there's bits, yes. there's bits in those Mister Plinker Red Letter Media re- reviews. There's a bit in one video that I always think of, where he talks about how black people don't go and watch Star Wars, and okay. I always think that you know. I feel like that's the sort of thing that would be picked on a lot in modern outrage culture. Mm-hmm. But I think they get away with it because they're very very deeply into this character and everyone realizes it's a character. And you can sort of yes. get away with saying slightly more fringe things. Yes. I think because so, there is a
0: sense that it, it kind of it, it invokes the knowledge that look we're saying this in inverted commas.
2: Yeah. Yeah, basically. I mean, a lot of I see a lot of I do try to be honest with the way I criticize games. I'd never, I do get very hyperbolic, but I wouldn't say a game is good if I thought it was bad, or vice versa. Mm-hmm. I mean, the the opinions are all kind of genuine, and I see a lot of people, a lot of comments online, uh, usually directed to people who are. Very angry at something I've said about their favorite game, whatever. (laughs) Sure. Say things like, you shouldn't take him seriously because he's doing a comedy performance. It's not serious reviews. Okay. And there's part of me that feels a little stung by that, you know? Because it it is my honest opinions. I do like to think I've got an informed view on the subject by now. Yeah. So it's easy to feel a little, I guess I feel a little bit dismissed
0: is that is that is that the price you pay for being i suppose so funny I, you know you need that license to be funny you need to be able to say the unsayable which means yeah
2: yeah i suppose whatever mental gymnastics the audience has to go through to want to keep watching suits me
0: i want to i want to just kind of stay for a moment with this idea of you looking at the comments on Reddit or wherever to see which jokes are most popular. Yeah, in order that you can t- talk to me about how that process has changed the voice of the character over the years.
2: Well, yeah. Well, it certainly um, made me shy away from getting too out there in like a stream of consciousness. Oh, okay. You know, because I it's because it's important to get the feedback from the audience because so once, once you start not caring about what the audience says, you turn into, like, George Lucas or Tom Cruise or something. <laughs> okay. So I suppose it's hard to, like, pick on specific examples, but I think, yeah, reading the comments keeps you grounded in a lot of ways. And Is, do you have a thick
0: enough skin to
2: read negative comments? Uh, I'd like to think so. In practice, not always. I am the kind of person who sort of, like, will... Gloss over a hundred positive comments and then just dwell on the really negative ones
0: of course, every comedian I know says, don't read the comments <laughs> you know the, the the comments rather you know there's there's so much vitriol out there which we all we all take very personally, I suppose, mm-hmm. because it's our face yeah. and our writing and our thoughts I mean it's certainly your voice
2: yeah, and I kind of and well, I kind of have to read the comments because you know I haven't got the audience feedback that the comedian gets, so yes. it, it is important to stay grounded that way, as I said, and I think of. At first, I think I w- it very much felt like me when I was doing it first. At first, if, mm-hmm. it was just like me writing my opinions and voicing them. I think the character has definitely evolved over the years. Like, there's like I think he has a specific voice that's quite distinct from my own voice. Okay. And part of it, like, because it's, it's scripted. But, you know, there's a sort of... Yeah, these days I sort of, like, enter... a uh, Mindset, mentally enter a mindset as I record the videos.
0: Yes. Oh, well, talk to me about that. That's, it. That's, that's right up the street of this podcast.
2: <laughs> <laughs> well, it's, um, a lot of it comes to, from the same sort of things I do when I'm recording audiobooks, because I do that as well, yes. which, which I guess we'll get to later, possibly. Mm-hmm. But um, when you adopt a character, you have to sort of have a sort of physicality to it as well. So what I do is I sort of like take a particular stance.
0: Yes, I love it.
2: <laughs> I sit in a particular way. Sit forward with okay. my like my elbows out, and um, and it, and speak kind of from a specific kind. Speak from a specific spot in my mouth, if that makes sense. Okay. Because yeah, because when you like, have to voice different characters in an audiobook, book, that's an, that's something I tend to do in that.
0: Putting oh, up, sure, absolutely. Change the way your body is in order to kind of get you into the zone of that
2: character. Yeah, and because you can hear it. Like uh, I've heard, like, people who work on like phone phone hotlines and stuff are often told that the the listener can hear when you're smiling, and it's yeah, and, sure. and it's true. You can hear when a person's smiling. I mean, so if I just sort of sort of speak from this particular area. I can't really do it without the script.
0: Sure, okay. Could you? I'd, I'd, love, to, I'd love to hear you switch from your conversational voice to your zero-punctuation voice. <laughs> okay, no can, right. you, can you contact a line from a recent review or a, a thing to say just so that we can hear the subtle change? Because I, I feel like I can
2: identify it, but I'd love to hear it. Um, hang on, let me bring up one of my recent videos. Here's my Resident Evil 2 script. Did you play Resident Evil 2? It's very Yes. Re- this is the very the very recent Resident Evil 2 that's a remake of the oh, original. Oh, the very one. recent. I have yeah. seen
0: the first 20 minutes of the, the recent one, but I, mean, I remember the original and I'm, I don't know. I, it doesn't feel better than the original was to me then. Well,
2: well yeah, that's the problem, isn't it? So, so I'll just... T- <laughs> so this game hasn't made me younger. I'm angry about it. <laughs> yeah. So I'll just uh, sort of uh, read from the second paragraph here. Sure. So I was already iffy on the re2 mate because the very idea is what we call a mouthful of dinner plate because it makes me do this. (laughs) (laughs) Thank you. Yeah,
0: that's. I mean, that's turbo. That sounds even faster than I'm used to. Maybe I've been lulled by your conversational voice into kind of into this particular rhythm. Yeah.
2: Yeah. So yeah. Again, that's that's not that's not a skill I deliberately learned. That just sort of happened out of from like nervous energy, I suppose. But I've always been pretty good at reading. I was always a fast reader growing up. The, I was always impressing my teachers with that. Mm-hmm. So, because I can, like, read that fast, even from a piece of text I've never seen before.
0: Oh, I see. Which okay, impressed. so sight reading. Yeah. So how long does it take you to read an audiobook of, of one of your own? Because I oh. we should
2: say, obviously, you, you've written several novels. Yes, I am also a novelist. Zero Punctuation open that particular door. That was like the dream when I was very young, because I grew up reading stuff like Douglas Adams, and uh, yes. Terry Pratchett, and then oh. and then later on like P G. Woodhouse, because he was Douglas Adams' his main influence. And uh, I didn't know that actually. So, okay. so I always wanted to be a novelist when I was a kid. I, I tried to write novels when I was a kid, and they were all terrible. But after I started, oh, how, how
0: what, what kind of word length did you get to oh, for a
2: novel as a kid? Like when I was like. Uh, When I was, like, 80 years old, I'd write something that was... I'm not sure the word length. I don't think my word processor at the time had something that could check the word length. (laughs) i printed it out to about 80 pages.
0: Good God, 80?
2: Yeah. That's extraordinary. Well, I guess I was pretty uh, ambitious as a kid.
0: (laughs) What what would have been a typical... um... Uh, plot or the uh, concern? Oh, of, it was just some, uh, just some stupid, eight-year-old uh,
2: novel. Yes, a stupid fantasy plot, like a couple of guys get transported to a fantasy world, and then like gotcha. stuff happens.
0: Were you ever? Did you ever do um, uh, role play, like uh, Dungeons and Dragons or
2: anything like that? I did that a little bit with my older brother when I was a kid, but I haven't really like. Followed through on in it into my adulthood, yeah. like some people do.
0: Yeah, I did a little bit as a kid as well. I hadn't realized it was going to be such a thing. I should have stuck with it. It's <laughs> a huge amount of resources available for it now.
2: I think what it was that I've always like had this I've always wanted to like imitate the things that had an effect on me. So I've, yes. I read Douglas Adams and wanted to write books. I played video games and wanted to make my own. Even when I was a kid, I was like, before I learned to program, I was like drawing up ideas for video games on my drawing paper and stuff. Ah, uh, nice. So yeah, I think probably... so zero punctua- So getting back on topic, uh, zero punctuation, I got my name out and uh, I was approached by like, Dark Horse Books and they were saying, hey, would you like to write a book about video games? Because like, Dark Horse usually are like, comic book publishers but they were like diversifying into actual textbooks. Okay. And so said, do you want to write a book on video games? And I was like, no, but I have written a novel fairly recently. Okay, and that was Mogwol. So, that was Mogwol. That was my first book, which is Excellent. which has a lot of video game themes running through it. Yes, that was, well put. That was what was on my mind at the time.
0: And so, did you feel? So, you had by the time they asked, you'd already written that book?
2: Yeah, I mean, I had like a there was a because I'd already finished it because I'd had like a semi chance with the publisher previously, and they'd said okay. Uh, yeah, okay we might be interested. uh, If you finish this, we might be interested. So I did finish it, but then they weren't interested. But then Dark Dark Horse got in touch and said, hey, you know, do you want to write a book about video games? You've already got the name. Um, So I said, yeah, publish this book I wrote. And they said, and I said, okay.
0: (laughs) What sort of speed, how long did it take you to write Mogworld?
2: That one, on and off, like, Two, three years? Okay. I mean, I have no frame of reference for how long it takes to write a novel. I'm well,
0: just wondering if, if you're dashing off 80 pages at the age of eight, no. whether you're the sort of writer that can sit down and go, and here's the work, bang, and they're all in all is. No,
2: no, no. I, I, I used to... Have, I, I wonder where all that energy I used to have went... Back when I used to, like, update the site once a day. Well, where did that come from?
1: Yeah, But these, sure. days,
2: these days, when I'm writing a book, I sort of stick to a strict one-page-a-day schedule when i'm writing the first draft
0: okay have you do you have any idea whether that's usual does that sound um...
2: well everyone's got their own way of writing a book from what i understand you have to find what works for you i guess
0: and when you're writing so are you drafting a plot first i'm sorry this is my the, the limit i'm outside of my uh, my comfort zone as an interviewer now <laughs> i'd like to ask you uh, hopefully not the same old questions about i'm always uh, mortified about uh, doing that Alan Partridge-style interview of, like, what's the fastest car you ever... <laughs> what's the slammest car? <laughs> but so, uh, just... I'm, I'm, I've, I read Mogworld, yep. and I'll never forgive you for the ending. <laughs> but um, I've, uh, I am about a third of the way through uh, We'll Save the Galaxy for food. Ah,
2: yes, that was, and that was my uh, third book. I've my f- yes. I got a fourth book that's currently... It was released as audiobook first, because, like, Audible uh, wanted to give me more money to... Uh, license it as an audio book original so, gotcha. so it would okay. be an audiobook first and the print version is coming out later this year i don't know when this podcast okay. will go out but it's coming out april may this year
0: and this is differently morphous
2: yes that's differently morphous which is a sort of lovecraft meets political correctness
0: <laughs> <laughs> i mean that is a strong that's a strong pitch <laughs> Um, I'm really enjoying the title given that it was Differently Morphous that's an odd title and then obviously I read it was about political correctness so I was like oh I love it you know know what I mean you you could read oh it's going to be that sort of a book
2: yeah and we'll Save the Galaxy for Food because all my books are like comedy as well because that's what I I enjoy writing Uh, we'll Save the Galaxy was sort of like this uh, satire of uh, big hero science fiction big boy plots
0: yes ripping yarn kind of stuff
2: yeah a space hero who's trying to get through an age like after teleportation is invented and space heroes are not needed anymore.
0: Yes. And which of your, which of your books are you... I'm enjoying it very much. Um, which, which of your books are you most happy with? Well,
2: I'm always going to say the last book I wrote, if you ask me that. Sure, 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 OK. Because I feel like if I'm not improving, why the hell, am I keep, why the hell do I keep doing it? <laughs> Okay. And I do think like my latest one is my strongest. I got a I've written a draft for the next uh, book actually. I got a I've written a draft for the sequel to we Will Save the Galaxy for Food. And my okay. and my wife's looked at it and she thinks it's my best, but I guess she has to say that.
0: Will there be is do you read the comments on reviews of your novels?
2: Yes. I guess sh- shamelessly. I mean that's the sort of paradox of my anxiety, I suppose. I want to hear if people are praising it but if I see negative comments then I will torture myself over it so I want so you? I want you... I, I want to look and I do give in and look and but then I but then I hate myself for it
0: and, and how does it affect you how do the negative comments affect you because you're really putting yourself out there and obviously I say that as a stand-up comedian but at least my shows are over <laughs> you know if they go badly I, I had one of the worst gigs of my career um, just before Christmas this year and uh, had to get in the car, suffering possibly from actual... I felt like I was almost going into shock, and then had to drive to another gig and do it again 30 miles away. Oh dear. And at least it was over.
2: Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> yeah. but yeah, but the comments will keep coming forever on, on yes. books and... Uh, so how
0: is, that? how is that for someone with anxiety? I mean, is it, is it, is it worth it? Is there some? Do you ever can, do you ever think about whether it's worth it? Like you obviously benefit enormously from, and you get to express yourself, all of these things. But the trade-off whereby you have to receive commentary now in a way that you know, were you a writer a hundred years ago, you would never have received. Anything. Yeah.
2: Well, I do sometimes get into very dark moods after I've looked at like negative comments, and I do have, have thoughts like, "What's the point? Why am I doing it?" Like, if I can't. Uh, maybe I'm just basically not good at it and if I can't well if I'm that's the case why bother but somehow I don't know maybe it's the artistic expression that I need to do because I I do I do feel like I need to be creating I feel like I'd go mad if I wasn't
0: yes yes it's interesting there was a guest on this show a good friend of mine Felicity Ward an Australian comic who was on the show years ago who talked about um, picking up Old Faithful and beating herself with it again, you know, just w- whichever negative thought it was that was the most yeah. easily to hand, like, oh, it's this again, I'm feeling like this again, I'm attacking myself in this way again. Yeah,
2: I'm one of those who, like, thinks about something embarrassing I said or did, like, five years ago, yeah. and, and just lets it ruin my mood for the day.
0: Is there is there any way out of that? Have you ever tried a way out? I mean, you're in America now, I mean, therapy's... Got- <laughs> common over here i'm sure
2: now you're in america it's uh yeah therapy is more common but also healthcare is absolute shit oh yeah of course yeah particularly bad now actually
0: yeah um are you have you have you do you mind me asking i'm happy to not ask if you'd rather rather not talk about it no. but I, I i suffer from anxiety i've been in and out of various therapist's office for the last 20 odd years
2: no no i'm uh but i'm, I'm uh, keen to talk about it it's a big part of i guess it's a big part of my motivation and a big part of my life I guess it's just mm. part of... Like, I once uh, saw a self-help book that I've, t- that I've taken nothing from except the title. Which <laughs> and Build self-confidence stupid. No, no, one? The title was Feel the Fear and Do It Anyway. Yes. I mean, I was anxious about yes, doing I- this interview. I'm al- I always get anxious about doing interviews.
0: I was anxious about doing this interview. Oh. Not because it was you, but just <laughs> I get anxious before every single fucking one of them.
2: I know, right? I
0: said to my wife before I left the house, I was like, "Ah, oh, jeez, I... I don't know how much longer I want to keep doing these. It's, that's insane. I love doing them. As soon as they begin, I go, oh, yeah, it's a human. Great, I really like humans. I know, I
2: know. As, but it's a up. Exactly. Once I start doing it, I'm fine. <laughs> I mean, oh, and I feel so, and it feels so good once it's done. There's nothing quite so... Nothing that quite makes you feel quite as good as being done with something I was dreading for days.
0: Yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Absolutely. And of course, for me, this is—I'm uh, eight hours ahead of you. So I've had, normally I do, I do interviews around one, two p.m. and it's currently eleven p.m. Oh, Christ! Uh, I'm not keeping you um, up, am I? No, not at all. Like, well, yes, but it's fine. I've got a baby, to it's keeping me up anyway. Um, but, uh, uh, but so I've had—I've had that like all. It's been like a gig, like a gig in the old days when I first started gigging. And you had the whole day to stew and get nervous about that. Yeah. Are there any, besides, besides that idea of feel the fear and do it anyway, are there any other kind of catechisms or anything that you find particularly useful that you can, that you can use to care for yourself when you're feeling
2: anxious? Um, I guess it's just a matter of um, trying to get outside your own head, you know? Like, mm. if, you're, if you're feeling bad about something... I mean, one thing I always like doing is playing video games... Does that help? Yeah, I mean, I mean, uh, I like a video game that uh, really inspires my emotions and my thoughts. But uh, if I'm like, if I want to like unwind, then I really like games that you don't really have to think about at all. Yes, like a lot of games where you just grind up enemies for hours and hours. <laughs> <laughs> like sometimes, sometimes I just put like that on, and then I'll like put my headphones on and I'll play a podcast. Well, lately I've been watching. Uh, lately I've been listening to a lot of. Uh, daytime quiz shows that are on YouTube. Like I've been, watch, <laughs> okay. I've been watching Richard Osman's House of Games. On oh, I've, yeah, been, okay. I've been binge listening to that while doing other things.
0: Okay, and do you do you find now that you uh, now that you I don't know what I was going to say rely upon. I'm not, I'm not sure that you rely upon them, but presumably there's a big financial incentive to continue doing the zero punctuation. Well, yeah, that, that, that is certainly
2: a big incentive, but part part of uh, the anxiety, I guess, is not wanting dis- to disappoint people.
0: Yes. So yes, Sure. When I've got
2: a, when I'm like, a, like a, obligated to do something for a contract, the worst thing in the world would be to not fulfil my obligations.
0: Mm-hmm. Okay. Okay. That's interesting. I wonder why that is. Might be. Do you have Do you have a sense of why that is?
2: Well, might be because I need a strong father figure. I don't know. <laughs> Okay, are you being glib or is that actually one of the... Well, I'm I'm being partly serious. I didn't really get on with my dad and I'm not really in touch with my family at the moment. And um, so I sort of... There are various people I've latched onto as pseudo-father figures over the years. When I started doing zero punctuation, I was very naive. And... um, But uh, everyone I've done work for, I've sort of been very anxious about disappointing.
0: Okay, okay. And
2: now you're doing work for everyone on the internet. <laughs> <Yes>. <laughs> That's that doesn't well, sound so healthy. Well, well, I was thinking about advice I would give to people who wanted to like, like be successful on the internet doing YouTube videos. And mm. I think being high quality is one thing, but one but the mm. equally important thing is just being consistent, you know? Just okay. just putting out like as I've done a video every week without fail on the dot, 9 o'clock every Wednesday. If you do that long enough, you just become part of people's lives. You just become part of the background noise. Yes. And they maybe, they don't, maybe they don't think about you, but they watch you every week and they'd miss you if you were gone. And I think, yeah. I think there are a lot of people who take a lot of comfort in what I do. I mean, we recently put out a video on, on YouTube, which we put out because someone else had made one like it and they were stealing our copyright material, so we had to put a stop to it but it, it was a weirdly popular video and it was just all my zero punctuation videos back to back with the title and end music cut off so it was just like 4 hours of me talking in a constant stream <laughs> and that was that's been a that's a weirdly popular video we put we made our own one of those and everyone was like finally this is back like i'm just i'm oh just my... i'm just going to sit back and like go to sleep listening to this
0: so that's what this that's what the other person had done that's what the offender had done and so you did it
2: yeah, yeah. I mean, there was like, there was clearly demand for it. We saw how many views it had. Okay, gonna...
0: people just wanted to listen to an unbroken stream of zero punctuation cons- uh, consciousness.
2: The weird thing is, I've listened to it myself, and yeah, I, there's something we- there's something strangely hypnotic about it. That makes it hard <laughs> to sh-
0: <laughs> Yeah, you do speak with a particular rhythm, don't you? And I imagine that rhythm would have a, some sort of drumming trance-like quality.
2: I think. That, yeah, it's one of the first things that someone said to me after i first put like a recording of my voice online they said my voice was very smooth okay and uh yeah my audio books do really well uh probably better than the print version
0: is that right yeah that's oh, I we're, suppose. We're at... yes okay sorry
2: that's why well i don't know if they sell more but they certainly make me more money partly because i record them myself so i take the paycheck for that as well
0: yes that's very smart yes and, uh, and then book ended by music that you've written yourself it's only two notes that's the secret that's the uh, <laughs> you need to that's i'm sure that's i'm sure someone has done something like that in the past i'm sure i've heard stories about comics who are like oh yeah you've also oh, was it chris moyles the breakfast dj in the uk he was briefly a Radio 1, well, not briefly, for a good while. He was a Radio 1 breakfast DJ. And I think they, they played these constant idents, which were just daft little three- or four-note ditties. And yeah. I remember hearing, oh, yeah, he does that deliberately, so as to... I mean, this is all hearsay. I can't attest to any of this. But I believe the theory was that he did that deliberately because then that becomes a copyright piece of music that he also gets paid for.
2: Smart, Oh, clever.
0: Yeah. <laughs> hello, <laughs> hello, Audible. <laughs>
2: um, but I, see, I see a lot of um, comments on... uh like reviews of my audiobooks saying things. I was worried because it said like the author was reading it rather than a professional reader. But I was pleasantly surprised by the sound of the voice.
0: There is something about your. Obviously, your voice is a huge part of your your mm. practice with with the zero punctuation
2: video. Yeah, people age, people recognise me in public from when they hear my voice. They very oh, yes, rarely can you
0: ask that. Yes. They
2: very rarely recognise me from my face. They once recognised me from my dog. <laughs> because I do, because I, I do like video game streams as part of my work, like to inter, to, like have a, some kind of interaction with the fan base, you know. Yeah. So I do like a couple of those a week, and the one I do on Wednesday, uh, I just point the webcam at my dog the whole time. <laughs> and a while back, I was like walking my dog around the apartment complex I currently live. And uh, someone else who was walking their dog sort of stopped me and said, are you Yahtzee? <laughs> <laughs> and they said they, rec- uh, they recognised my dog. They recognised my dog from the stream. That's extraordinary.
0: I was going to ask you, I, think, I feel like you, ha- you have a, an interest in the level of fame you have. Because you do seem to, like unlike most, I would think most YouTubers if you would consider yourself a YouTuber, most content creators online have their faces in it so yes. that they are instantly recognisable. That's part of it. It's a kind of a bid for fame, we imagine, I imagine, from the outside. But you have that kind of quality. I remember there's um, a, a TV show I was uh, doing some warm-up for, a chat show, and the artist Sia was in the building. Mm. And, of course, she never, I mean, the very occasionally, you know, she doesn't perform with her face visible. So she has this incredibly, this extraordinarily recognisable voice and apparently writes everyone else's pop songs as well. Mm. But she gets to hang out in the cafe with her crew and the lighting guys and the band without being hassled by anyone ever. And you yeah. just think, oh God, that's, you don't have to pay that particular price of fame.
2: Yeah, not usually. I mean, there are some like superfans. Okay. Because the face is online in some places. Sure. But yeah mostly, but yeah, it does happen if people hear my voice and it used to happen more often, not so much these days. I think I'm past the like explosive part of the fame of the viral fame thing settled into the night set- I've settled into the nice, comfortable groove stage What does it cost you What does it cost me what, mm, finan- I, financially no or? I don't mean financially, I mean what has
0: it? what has it cost you it's clearly you know the benefits are fantastic. you've millions and millions of downloads it's opened all these doors for you what like, I mean, like in the same way that, for example, stand-up comedy—it's yeah. exhilarating, it's wonderful. I'm living my dreams. I'm proving. I'm really showing those kids that no longer exist that I went to school with, you know. Um, but there, like, there are hugely exciting, positive things about it. It's also it can be very isolating. There's a lot of really tedious travel involved. You know, it, it has that kind of gilded cage quality. Are there, hmm, okay, are there similar things in in what you do?
2: Well. There are things I've noticed, like occasionally I'd take like contract gigs back in the day. i used one time I took like a gig writing dialogue for a local game company on top of mm-hmm. doing zero punctuation, and what I found was that I really relished the opportunity to go into an office and actually work alongside other people That's yeah. a desk where I could just turn around and talk to another person <laughs> yeah, yeah I suppose the- and another thing is. I used to like post on internet forums more. Mm-hmm. Like, um, there's a big internet forum called Something Awful that's been running for like, it's got to be over 20 years now, maybe. That's okay. uh, like a fairly uh, popular forum. And I used to be quite active on there. But after, like, and when I, I was still active on there when I first started doing zero punctuation, and but it soon became clear that I could no longer post anything without. Uh, instantly diverting the attention, like like diverting the topic to um, talking about my videos,
0: uh, without without other people then talking about it. You mean?
2: Yeah, and I guess I kind of like. I guess yeah, that was the that was that was when I felt a sense of isolation from doing it. I, I no longer felt part of that community. That's interesting. That's almost like an.
0: Uh, that's almost analogous to the fact that you don't need to put up with certain aspects of fame
2: in real life. Mm, yeah, it's the, yeah you know, at the side of the seesaw, I suppose.
0: Yeah. That's very strange. And did you rely upon that community?
2: Well, I, it was like a regular part of my day, like browsing the forums. Mm-hmm. I'm not sure it was like I was totally emotionally dependent on anything, but I certainly missed it when I when I wasn't involved in it anymore. Are you happy? Yes. I think if you'd asked me that a few years back, I might have a more complex question, but last year I got married. Oh, congratulations. Thank you. And uh, we're talking about getting a new house, we got a dog, and um, I'm happy now in a way I probably wasn't through a lot of the years when I lived by myself. Doing like turning out zero punctuation every week okay it feels it, f- it feels good to be have someone around who understands my life and what I need to do for it, and uh, she is she's very understanding. <laughs>
0: So that was Ben Yahtzee-Croshaw. Thank you so much to him for coming along. And and thank you as well, Nathan Wood, who has gone above and beyond this time to stitch together two disparate sound files recorded remotely. I think this is the first episode we've ever recorded remotely. Um, it does... I, 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 uh, there are elements... I certainly... It was the only way I was going to be able to interview Yahtzee. And um, uh, elements of it were... It, it's very exciting to think that I can be talking to people all around the world elements of it were tougher because it's much harder to utilize those pregnant pauses I'm very fond of and you know potential silences to encourage my guests to speak more when you are at the other end of an internet connection and eventually if you do pause for long enough one of you will say is it are you still there (laughs) so that's a little bit tricky and we were dealing as you may have gathered with a little bit of a delay in, uh, in the in the connection there. So um, uh, I, I am pleased that we had such uh, a fruitful conversation. And thanks again to Rob Smouten for the music uh, and to Peter Dobbing, podcast consultant. And thank you to all of you for listening to the show, for supporting it, for tweeting it, sharing it, subscribing, important to subscribe, of course, so you get all the new content. And uh, those of you who have gone to comedianscomedian.com slash insiders to sign up for all the extra stuff. That's all for now. Uh, I won't... Will I have a little post amble? I, I feel like I've got lots of exciting stuff to say about South by Southwest, but um, I will wait and talk to you about all those exciting things uh, on the end of a forthcoming episode that is from here. That would make more sense, uh, wouldn't it? But um, it's—I'm having so much fun, and I'm riding a little motorised scooter all, all around the place, and uh, it's—I mean, it's just the best thing ever. I don't know if I could bear to get one in the UK, but here everyone's on them, and it's—it's. Uh, it's, It's so great, guys. I'm in the future. I'm in the actual future. Thanks all. For now, that'll do me. Uh, I hope you enjoyed this episode and I will
1: speak to you next week. Bye for now.